all right welcome welcome back we haven't uh we haven't spoken to you since since last year it's crazy dude. that was 20, so long ago yeah right 2020 man we are we are here we got good things on the horizon and world war three probably it's awesome good time <laughs> to be alive what a time to be alive man no, but uh, we're excited. We got a Q&A for you guys to pop off the first episode of 2020. We're going to start off strong. We got some good questions. This is going to be on dieting and uh, bodybuilding prep. So uh, both of these will be, will be answered from the prep side and from the general population side if we can. Some of them are specific to prep. So I, I don't think you'll have any frame of reference on the general population side. But for the most part, we'll try to answer a little bit uh, of, of each. And again, just to preface this, and you've already heard it, but a lot of this is an it depends situation, but we will go into uh, as much detail as we possibly can. So, and, and try to provide a few different situations in which are common, common situations in which you get in. Exactly. Um, so, we got a pretty good first question uh, from Michael underscore Rhoda. Hope I said that right. Um, Rada, what would Rada. be Rada, Michael underscore Rada? What would be an ideal starting body fat percentage when starting a prep? So, um, for me, it's going to be dependent upon the individual. Um, my prep planning is more psychology based than anything. So, um, obviously, if someone needs a certain amount of time to get lean because they're too far off, then that's one thing. But um, if we're in a pretty decent spot, like I'm, I'm more looking to get them to a point where their psychology fits the length of the prep. So um, if they're very disciplined, hardworking, love the process type of people, then I'm okay with a longer prep. Then obviously the opposite, if they're a little bit more whimsical, people, things like that. So that is the setup point for the starting body fat percentage. So if you take up like probably my average prep is 16 to 18 weeks. Um, on that 16 to 18 weeks, I like for guys to be around 13 to 15% somewhere in that area. Um, visibly what that's going to look like is soft midsection. So you're, you have some visible ab lines, but not necessarily like full on, full on abs technically. Um, you probably have a little bit of lower back fat, but your upper back is still there pretty, pretty well. Um, how the individual carries fat is going to be kind of tell me how my the legs are going to look. So like for someone like me, I start prep with, you know, separated hamstrings and quads, mostly separated and stuff Striated like that. But, glutes and, yeah. but for most people that's, that's going to look like smooth, smooth hamstrings up near the glute hamstring tie-in, maybe you get a little bit down towards the knee. Um, and then same with the quads up towards the hips, it's soft, but you get um, a little bit of separation down near the knee. So visually, that's kind of what you're looking for. Um, females, what you're looking for, depending on the weight carrying distribution, um, I like to see the, the midsection should be rather tapered because for me, other than the last little bit of pulling off detail, midsections for females typically aren't the hardest thing to pull weight off of. Um, typically what you're seeing as their furthest out point 
is their glutes, their hamstrings, um, some even their quads, but depending on the how much muscle the person has, quads typically aren't too much of an issue. Um, and you can even use like the back of the arms as well, but it's a little bit harder of a measure for the females unless you're in person. So um, a good way to test this is caliper testing, but um, you have to be rather consistent with that in order that be a feasible tool. What you got over there, Matt? Does that kind of cover it on how you approach it? Um, for the most part, I think um, I think one of the easiest ways to do it is is our governing body in the uh, fitness exercise science realm has kind of like deemed like this these body fat percentages, and they've set aside one for like an athletic type, and for, like for men, that's like six to thirteen percent. Uh, and I think if you fall anywhere within that starting a prep should be relatively easy for you. I think you can probably go up to like 20% if you give yourself enough time and you have the mental fortitude to, to, to make it through that. I think a lot yeah. of prep isn't, isn't necessarily, is your body ready? It's, is your mind ready? Because dude, bodybuilding prep in general, dieting in general, is just like how much shit can you get thrown at you and not break? Just, I mean, just think about it. So like if you were just on like a regular diet and you walked into the office and they're like celebrating someone's birthday and Karen's like, have a slice of cake. And you're like, no, Karen, I'm on a diet. And she's like, but it's my birthday. Like, Shut up, Karen. I'm on, I'm on a diet. You know, like, like those situations happen. And when you're in a prep, like those situations get amplified uh, yeah. due to, you know, you getting hungrier and hungry. Like you're literally starving your body. That is what dieting is. Yeah. Uh, die. Die. Like you're, you're literally <laughs> forced dying. You are forcing parts of your body to die off. And that is the body fat. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's just kind of how it is. And then for females, it's, it's 14 to 20%. Um, and I think, yeah. I think you can actually go to like probably 25% for females, believe it or not, yeah. like females hold, hold muscle tissue insanely well. So like, you're not going to yeah, lose. You can, you can diet females pretty hard for the most part. Like I yeah. can like, um, you obviously want the start of their preps to be pretty high cause it gives you more room, but the drop offs get pretty quick. Um, obviously depending on the individual, but, um, yeah, female females do have an interesting, it's not that it's that much different, but it is, it is a little bit of a yeah. different approach. Um, yeah. And this is probably also slightly different between natural and enhanced as well. Um, yeah, but exactly. I, I really don't think it's I really don't think it's too big of a difference until you get late late into prep and you start playing with like a couple of different things. So really, the only thing that makes a difference for me is there's a lot more planning on the the geared side for um, use use of certain certain compounds, um, cycles, and stuff like that. Well, that and like getting, you have to pace it according to when you use these things. So, um, each, each, each compound's like a tool in your toolbox and you don't want to pull that tool out too fast. So, right, um, right. you have to keep that in the back of your mind. Um, and where it makes the most difference is the pace the last, um, six ish weeks, probably you can probably get a little, little bit of a faster. Yeah. That's rate, what I was saying. Yeah, that's um, what I was thinking. As you start adding those like higher end 
um, yeah, fat, yeah. fat burners and like different things like that. And then, yeah. But so that pretty, that's a, that kind of covers that one. Good. Um, yeah. The next one is Jerry Jordan underscore. How long should a person stay in a fat loss phase? Um, I kind of touched on this with how I answered the last question. Um, it's it's going to be a little bit psychological based, a little bit how much weight they have to pull off. Um, if we're talking contest prep now, uh, if we're talking um, just general general clients, we, you can kind of refer to the episode we did on diet breaks to kind of see how you could possibly cyclically do that. Um, mm-hmm. But what I typically do for clients is, depending on rate of weight loss, um, six-ish weeks to eight weeks hard dieting, maybe one week off of, not off of diet, but like a little bit of a diet break, and then pull them back down if they're like gin pop. Um, preps, that's a different story. Uh, I know in your realm, it's 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 half a year, but for over here, it's more. <laughs> It's, it is. It's it's more uh, eighteen weeks, probably twenty weeks, maybe. Um, I typically diet females a little longer, just because it helps them get in the groove a little bit better, and it allows me to give them a a break somewhere in there if they need it, and that typically helps them psychologically a little better. So, um, looking somewhere in that sixteen to twenty two week mark for for me, for most people. Yeah. So I think like for the fat loss phase, like. It, it's a kind of like, it depends. Like you can, I guess you could technically be in a fat loss phase for insanely long periods of times, as long as you have breaks. So if you're taking a break, I guess you're not in the fat loss phase anymore. So that's where it would stop. And I would say that break should come when maybe you've gone two, three weeks without any noticeable change, uh, both physically, right? In the mirror, right? And on the scale. Um, Maybe that's a time to like, hey, you should, take a break, maybe bring your calories up to maintenance for a week, something like that, see what happens. Make sure you also understand like your, your maintenance is going to change if you're at a lighter body weight than when you started. Like, yeah, you, and, yeah. And we kind of discussed all that with, uh, with, well, I don't remember what episode that was, but um, with that, that diet break uh, episode. So you can kind of get a little bit more details looking at that. We do cite some oh, with Jackson, 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 with Jackson. Yeah. P.S. Yeah, so we do cite some studies that you can go reference if you need it. Um, there's there's a bunch of diet break studies out there. So um, yeah, that would that would be the the only thing that that changes. It's like I would say, like you can be in a fallow phase as long as you want to, as long as you can handle it mentally. Uh, until again, like I said, you're not seeing anything physically or on the scale, and then it's probably time to take a break. So right, nothing specific, I, but that's kind of that kind of gives you an idea. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. What's our next question? All right. This is, uh, how many more calories should I eat on refeed day? And this comes from Chris underscore Elkins. Um, so yeah, this is a, this is a pretty fun one. Um, I mean, you can go off the research numbers or you can go off of personal experience. I think it, I think it's, it depends, but I'm gonna let Luke start it. Um, uh, yeah, I'm so intrigued. I, this one I do more anecdotally. Uh, I'll be honest. So, um, I I the way I approach it is going to depend on the percentage of carbohydrates and fats that we're at at the moment. Um, so, okay. 
to give you kind of like an idea ballpark range, let's say I have someone eating uh, at whatever point of prep this is, 125 grams of carbs, um, 45, 50 grams of fat. And, and that's where our energy substrates are at the moment, right? So what I'll probably do is look at reducing our our fat numbers a little bit, um, but increasing carbs to the point where we probably get somewhere in the 250 to 600 calorie increase for the refeed day, um, primarily in carbohydrates. Now, one thing you can do with this is reduce uh, your protein servings a little bit as well. So um, carbohydrates are protein sparing. So that is one thing that I use during prep is sometimes you have individuals that will hang on the muscle really well. So as you're going into a dieting phase, in order to keep energy substrates like carbohydrates around training a little higher, you can do a calorie swap for protein and carbohydrates if if they're retaining muscle fine at the current level of protein they're eating. Um, which will allow them to have a little bit more energy substrate at the same calorie level. So for the refeed, I'm essentially doing that with the the carbs and fats. I'm exchanging calories and fats for carbohydrates, but then increasing the total calorie amount by a little bit. So 250, 500 calories, somewhere there. See how they respond. If I feel like nothing happens, then I'm going a second day on it. If I feel like they filled out fine, then we're going back to whatever plan I think is necessary to keep going down. And that and that move is primarily in carbohydrates. I think I think majority of refeeds are are, are set up that way, um, yeah. especially in a contest prep. Yeah, and so the point for me is more fueling training. You'll what you'll see on refeed days is neat levels will increase as well. So because they feel better, so um, they'll be more likely to do things throughout the day. Um, so you'll actually a lot of times see a drop in weight, pretty significant. Um, and that kind of sets you up for continuing to diet. Um, it's not long enough to restore any kind of uh, hormonal differences from dieting. So like the downregulation of any type of hormones there. But um, it is enough of a mental break. A lot of times it'll allow them to continue to progress. So um, people don't realize that a lot of times stress can kind of be a hindrance on your prep as well. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes having that little break or refeed will allow them to continue progressing. So my, my approach is always carbohydrate driven. I'll typically always pull down fats with it as well. A few rare cases I haven't, um, but most of the time that's the approach I'm taking with it. Yeah. I mean, as far as like refeeds go, I, you know, they're all dependent on like one, how deep you are in prep number two, like how depleted you are in all of those cases. Um, but at the end of the day, like you, you know, your refeeds probably going to be somewhere around 300 to 600 calorie increase. Um, if I had to guess, and that's primarily going to come from carbohydrates because the goal is to like refill glycogen stores, right. To get, you know, so that you can feel better. Um, and that's a, good way to do it short term, like very quickly. Like you could feel way better 
having some more carbohydrates. If, if you've ever struggled with dieting and like you've just eaten a lot in one day, if you ate very heavily fat fueled, you were probably really tired throughout the whole day. Right. And then, you know, if you get some, if you get some sugar up in you, right. Right. Remember when you were little and your mom was like, you know, keeping you away from sugar because she didn't want you on a, you know, sugar high. Yeah. That's a thing. That's a thing. So you can, your body, you know, gets more energetic because it's got extra glycogen flowing through it that it hasn't had in a long time, plus those extra calories. And so, yeah, that, that, that's the goal is to, to, to make you feel better, both physically and psychologically with that refeed. Um, yeah. And if you, and if you went out and ate a lot of fat on your refeed day, you probably made yourself less insulin sensitive. Yeah. Less insulin sensitive <laughs> was like, because, um, Y'all probably don't know, but when they're trying to make mice in research studies like extremely desensitized to insulin, what they do is they feed them a very high fat diet for a long period of time um, in order to do that. So, um, rats gone keto, dude. Yeah. So, if you think that fat loading for a refeed is what you should be doing, um, I'm not overly buying it. Um, so, um, that, I mean, they, that covers it though. So, um, at the end of the day, increase in calories. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This one's another one from Jerry Jordan underscore. How much training volume should be reduced within a deficit? (sighs) Um, (laughs) my answer is it shouldn't, uh, for the most part, um, maybe towards the very, very end. We're pulling some intensity factors to make sure that like rest pauses, drop sets, things like that to make sure performance is continuing. But outside of the last week of training and maybe the last two or three weeks where we're pulling some of those intensity factors, I don't think volume should decrease at all. I mean, it's dependent on recovery, right? So if if the person's recovering, volume shouldn't change. If the person's not recovering, obviously you drop volume. I think they're like, the studies and stuff show like a 40% decrease in training volume over a deficit of I think like 500 calories or greater, which is, yeah. that's just a pretty significant drop in, in training volume. But you, I mean, you would have to take into consideration how far that person is, has been dieted. You know, the further you get into dieting, like the less recoverability you're going to have just because you don't have, the same energy intake coming in, you're spending a ton, right? At some yeah. point in, in contest prep or in like getting your body fat to like these, you know, you know sub, sub double digits, right? Yeah. Is, and uh, I know spending a ton and taking in very little. So, and, and I know some people that use it as a tool for caloric expenditure. So like, like Austin, Austin Stout, he'll break up his training sessions a bit and train more days per week. Um, in order to get a higher amount of calorie expenditure. Now, the only reason he does that is because he's extremely uh, metabolically adaptable. So his high calories in the off season are like super high, but his dieting levels are like extremely low. So low, dude. Yeah. So he, he uses that as a tool. Not that resistance training is uh, overly increasing of calorie expenditure, but um, it, it can help. So I know he kind of breaks, breaks up his training a bit more for, for yeah. a little bit more training throughout the week. And it kind of, you know, that kind of makes sense because you get like smaller doses of one calorie burning, but at the same time, like 
your body has to spend calories to recover from that as well. So yeah, you can yeah. smaller doses throughout the week versus like, you know, a big dose and then having to try and recover from that and then have another big dose. Um, so I guess like spreading that out is, is probably getting those smaller doses over and over again. is probably a, a nice, a nice way of uh, not feeling like dog poop a lot of the times, <laughs> you know, cause that, that can happen. So um, when, when, when we're talking about training volume and being reduced in a, in a deficit, it's, it's literally just dependent <coughs> on the person's recoverability. So if the person is recovering, volume does not need to change. If the person is not recovering, i.e. like they're not making progress in their logbook or um, they're like overly sore, tired when they're like doing their check-ins, um, those, are, those are things that you start looking for. And you're like, all right, let's, let's pull some volume um, and see if that helps. And uh, yeah, and what, <clears throat> one thing to oh my god, <clears throat> one thing to note on that um, is that uh, you can look at that in a movement pattern basis if you're going to pull volume. So you don't necessarily <clears throat> just like randomly pull volume. Um, make sure that it's a, <clears throat> a consistent thing and not a one-time anomaly, because you're gonna have days that are off in prep. Um, I don't care who you are. Um, so it, it could be local fatigue, so specific to a muscle group, or it could be central fatigue. The, how you can tell the difference is uh, central fatigue is going to be probably decreasing performance across more than one session or a lot of sessions, a lot of body parts. Um, local fatigue, what you'll see is uh, maybe in a push day, your your chest movements don't progress, but shoulders and triceps do. Um, so that may be a telltale sign that you need to drop off some, some chest, chest volume and how it would do that is probably in some of your isolation work. So keep the compounds intact for the loading parameters. So, and maybe pull off some of your peg decks, your cable crossovers, things like that. Um, so that you can keep, keep your range staples in. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Next one. Jerry, you had some great questions, by the way, uh, and I nitpicked some of those because, yeah, <laughs> fantastic questions, dude, but I want to keep some of them for another episode. I apologize for that. How many, let's go to the next question. How many calories uh, do you adjust when you hit a plateau in a dieting phase? And this is from KY Damo, Kai Damo. Um, Kyle, thanks for the question, dude. So in my opinion, this is going to come down to that metabolic flexibility I was talking about with Austin. So depending how adaptable your metabolism is, tells you how resistant to change you're going to be. So this comes from experience with a client. Typically why I ask people to start with me in off season phases instead of like just for a contest prep is for this exact reason right here. Um, so if you are more ad adaptable with your metabolism, so you don't respond to a change quite as much, you need to be a lot more aggressive with your changes up and down than if you were someone who does respond or is a little bit less adaptable with your metabolism. So responding to smaller changes. So with that, that's going to be both directions too. So if you have a very high adaptable metabolism, your refeeds are going to be a lot more aggressive um, and your diet 
pulls are going to be a lot more aggressive. Um, so for someone like me, I have not quite as of adaptable of a metabolism as Austin, but it does adapt pretty fast. So my pulls are a little bit more aggressive. So like if I start a contest prep, uh, last time I started around 5,200 or 5,000 calories. Um, my first pull off was <laughs> if <you laughs> he's giving me the middle finger, by the way, um, for those listening. Um, but so I started around 5,000, 5,100. Um, my first pull was all the way down to 4,100. So that was an 1,000 calorie drop. Now, my subsequent drops weren't that aggressive. But um, for me, drops are going to be pretty, pretty significant. So you're looking at 400, 500, 600 calorie drops um, with some of my drops just because of how um, – adaptable my metabolism is now you have to play into consideration activity levels so if you increase activity levels through cardio the caloric drop doesn't have to be quite as extreme so there's a balance there too um it's hard to give guidelines on how to adjust because it's very very dependent very dependent on the individual <clears throat> um but that's a concept so you can kind of test this out for yourself so let's say you track it and you you pull down 250 calories and you don't see much of a change then that means you probably need to pull down a little bit more per drop so um if you if you if that happens what i would do is pull another 250 and see see if you if you net drop there because depending on how fast you pull that trigger um, you probably haven't adapted to that 250 calorie drop. Um, and, and you probably just need to make your drops more like in the four or five, 600 calorie range. Yeah. I think, I think the more, the more years I do this, um, uh, the more I see like the human body is very resilient. Like, and like, I mean, it's, we're built to survive, right? Like the human body is built to like, we've survived famines. We've, you know, we survived the great tea party, like, dude, like, just crazy things, right? You know, so, like, the human body is built to survive, and you have to think about that. Um, so, like, small changes work for very, very little of the population, right? Very, very few. And most of the time, from what I've seen, the people that are the small changes are the people that are, like, insanely, insanely active, like you have a very physical job, stuff like that. And like, you can respond to like the small, like I can pull like 50 grams of carbs out and you're like two pounds on the scale. I'm like, what the, f that's stupid. Like that shouldn't happen. Yeah. You know? And so that's where I was kind of saying that activity levels will moderate your calorie. Yeah. Decrease, right. So mm -hmm. you can, you could probably be like, I would, and this is just me. I'd rather do a shit ton of cardio and still be able to eat than, um, having really aggressive calorie drops so i don't mind my cardio getting pretty high now if it starts playing into my performance and that's that's another thing but um I, my last prep i got up to an hour and a half six days a week so yikes it's yeah impressive. i mean <clears throat> but that was for a short period of time uh, by the those end, split sessions I, or was it all one yeah one it was split it was split okay. sessions Four so times. i would cardio in the morning for about an hour then I train midday because I was working in two research labs. So um, 
my time was kind of weird. So I trained midday and then I'd go to class and then I'd do another cardio session right before bed. But yeah, the, 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 I wish, I wish there was a, like, we could say, Hey, you should adjust by this percentage and then just have everyone follow it. So that it would like work. Like I would love to give such specific answers. The problem with exercise science is that it is science and there's nothing exact in science except for math. Um, which granted we are dealing with numbers, but we're also dealing with the human body. So like, yeah, you so, can track numbers, but as a, as a starting point, what I would try to say is pull, um, somewhere in that 300 calorie range first, yeah. see what happens and then go from there. Now, if you do increase activity levels, um, maybe you just try the activity level increase and see what that does, or you do moderate your calorie drop with uh with the cardio change yeah people people really really I, I think let that go over their head you know when they're um increasing cardio um it's not not paying attention to that you just increased your output so your input doesn't need to change as drastically as you think because you have that extra output going um so yeah just monitor that but as far as how many calories to adjust when you hit a plateau uh, dependent on the person, uh, probably start with that two, 300 calorie range. Uh, when you, when you do hit that plateau and, and a plateau for me, is like maybe two, three weeks stalled. Uh, I think, I mean, depending on yeah. your timeline, I guess, cause I, yeah. I guess that is dependent on how long you have to prep slash diet. So. And awesome let me make a quick comment on that. If drugs are involved, just because the weight doesn't move on the scale, doesn't mean you aren't changing body composition so make sure that you're tracking pictures and or caliper sites or both um there will be points during a prep that you will if you do it right add muscle but not necessarily change and, and drop fat but not change weight on the scale so so don't be scale um focused be look focused um, and, and that's where having an external eye to look at you will probably help. Um, it's the whole reason we have a coaching business. So, um, you know, just, just be wary of that. If that is your situation. Wait, so you're telling me in a physique sport, we're supposed to focus on our physique <laughs> and not, and not the weight that's on the scale. Holy <laughs> shit. I know, man, you would have, you would <laughs> never think that half of these people would understand that, but um yeah man at the end of the day it is a physique contest so make sure you're you're taking progress photos i think even if you don't have a coach just go in the same same room same place whatever if it's your bathroom you live alone or you don't think it'll drive your significant other crazy put tape down on your bathroom and put your toes on that line and stand in the same spot and hold your cell phone and take like make it the same every week so that you have like don't be changing your, your spot every single week and like posing different, like don't, don't do that. Make it simple. Okay. Take it the same photo every single week. You can watch yourself change. It's really cool to see on top of that, track the scale on top of that. If you can, if you have the ability, if you have the, the, the means get calipers done, get on some kind of like, you have like a body fat measurement that you can, you know, get to, um, those, all those things are, are helpful. They're tools to help guide you in the right direction. You know, as same as a coach, right? Yeah. Cool. Exactly. All right. This last question is uh, 95% you did. 
Second to last question. Thank you very much. But okay, okay, yeah. So, sorry. sorry. <laughs> all right. So, all right, Neil. Um, Neil, I can't say your last name, man. I'm sorry. I, I love you to death, but I think it's Zaluski. Um, he's asking about sodium and how to moderate, cut it, or add it when peaking. <sighs> um, I get this question a lot. Um, so how I'm going to answer this uh, is going to be more what the thought says thought process behind controlling water or sodium for an individual is trying to do instead of giving you a cut and dry, increase it here, decrease it there. Um, because if you've ever heard of, if you teach a man how to fish, he'll be able to eat or whatever the fucking saying is. Um, if I give you the thought process behind it, I think it'll be a little bit more applicable to be able to do it for yourself um, depending on the situation. So what we're trying to do with sodium and water manipulations is control aldosterone, okay? So aldosterone is a mineral corticoid that is released or produced, sorry, produced in the adrenal cortex. Um, it is released in response to angiotensins. Um, so what happens with aldosterone is that it responds to alterations in like blood pressure or blood volume. So if we have an increase in aldosterone, we have a reabsorption of sodium and water from the urine and the kidneys. So um, specifically the renal ducts, but just for the ease of control or explanation, just reabsorption of sodium and water. Um, so with that, what you want to think about is we're trying to keep aldosterone at bay when we're peaking. So we want water and sodium to be high for as long as possible. Um, this is where you see a lot of water loading protocols where they typically get their thought process from. Um, is that thought process right there? Now, I'm, I prefer a more consistent water sodium intake across a peaking process. Um, one thing you do need to note is that as you start the carb process, the carb up process, your sodium will probably increase just as a result of the inclusion of more carbohydrates, um, especially depending on the source of carbohydrates that you choose, um, will increase sodium quite a bit. So what you want to do is get yourself to a point where water and sodium is high and you can maintain the process of urinating throughout um, throughout the end portion of the peak. So if at any point you do stop urinating or peeing, that's probably an, uh, a sign that you need to do something as far as inclusion of water and sodium. Um, so one thing that is common to use is like a thiazide towards the end of a prep. Uh, or towards the end of a peak. Um, there's three forms of thiazide. Um, most common is probably your hydrochlorothiazide. Um, basically, all that's doing is uh, pulling, pulling you back down. Um, it was originally prescribed for blood pressure control, so allowing your body to excrete when blood pressure is high and blood volume is high. Um, so 
be careful with how you use that. If you're not in a state of high sodium and water, when you use that, um, you, you can kind of really mess up your look. So, um, needless to say, what I would suggest is pulling water and sodium up for a period of time. Adding in carbohydrates is going to increase water as it is. Um, so you don't have to be as aggressive with the water increase. In fact, for most people, I can typically keep water consistent across the week and just allow the carbohydrates to bring it up and then just pull it out closer to the end and allow yourself to dry out over time. Um, now, how you respond to that at the rate which you respond to that is a very finicky game. Um, my suggestion would be just to get lean, not like, you know, be three weeks, four weeks out because then it makes this process 10 times easier because you don't have to make your manipulations very, very high. So like the years that I was absolutely freaking shredded, I, my peaks literally looked like, you know, consistent water intake all the way up until like Friday afternoon with consistent higher carbohydrate levels, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and a little added sodium and then you just pulled it and peaked and, and and not fully pulled it out but like pulled it to the point where you're you're sipping more than anything else you know you can use a quarter tab of thiazide or half a tab of thiazide if you need it but i would suggest not being too aggressive with that because it can make the carbohydrate loading process a little harder so what i would suggest is if you're still trying to load to not use it, um, if you need to make weight, that's one thing. Uh, just understand how to time it according to when you need to weigh in and when you need to start carving up again. Hopefully you're lean enough where you've probably done the majority of the carbohydrate loading process uh, leading into weigh-ins. Um, but it is a weight, a weight uh, class sport. So if you need to make weight, um, that is one thing you can do. Just to give you an example, so you can kind of see it in application. Um, one thing we did was this last year, I was struggling to make light heavyweights. In fact, Thursday morning before the show, I woke up like 200 pounds. So, um, or like 199. Um, for those what who don't know. What is the light heavyweight? For 198 and a quarter. 198 and a quarter is the cutoff. So. Um, I was waking up above the weight class. So um, weigh-ins were at like 6 p.m. So what we did was Thursday night, we did two Benadryls, um, a quarter tab of thiazide, and some natural calm magnesium. Um, and I ended up waking up at like 196 Friday morning. <laughs> um, and I, I thought that I was going to have to spend all of Friday not eating. I had mentally already prepared for that. So um, to wake up at 196, it allowed me to eat all day Friday. Um, and how you want to do that if you're really close to a weight cap is actually track how many ounces your entire food is so that you can see what the expected weight jump would be. And then if you don't get that weight jump, that means that you're following the carbohydrate and loading process where your body still needs it. If you do make a weight jump that's similar to the ounces in the food, you probably need to be a little less aggressive. So um, 
pretty easy to track and measure um, as long as you're tracking everything across like the fluids you intake, how many ounces of fluid you intake, how many ounces of protein you intake, carbohydrates, the grams to convert into ounces. And you can kind of get what your expected weight jump would be before the next meal. And if that doesn't happen, that means you can probably keep feeding. So what we did was we, we, we added like 16 ounces of food in as my first meal. I didn't jump at all in weight. So that means that I could eat again um, because I was still two pounds under the way in mark and, and we did that process just rinse and repeat rinse and repeat rinse and repeat until i weighed in and i weighed in at like 197.8 or 197.9 so right under the cap and I ended up standing on stage about 200 so um if you're going to use it i would not suggest taking a whole tab it's very strong that was with a quarter tab of thiazide so just just take that into consideration yeah, I, I think for the most part, sodium manipulation uh, is, I, I don't want to label it taboo, but like, I don't think it plays as big of a part as what people think it does. Um, I think at the end of the day, if you were going to sodium manipulate, it's more of like water cut slash make weight than it is to achieve a, a desired look. Um, if you hear people say that they are watery on stage or something like that uh in the in the natural realm this is what i'm going to tell you in the natural realm you're fat like you're still you're still you're just you didn't get lean enough dude like you're not holding water you just didn't get lean enough okay chad like you're not a camel your body <laughs> as long as nothing's wrong your body pushes water out the way it's supposed to okay as right. long as nothing is wrong your body adjusts sodium levels the way it's supposed to. Now you can overdo it in water and like flush like all the sodium out of your body if you're not like paying attention and you like increase water intake and you don't adjust uh, sodium intake for that. So like you can actually like mess your electrolytes up by like washing yourself. That is 100% a possibility. But for the most part, the human body is uh, very, very intelligent, even if you're not. Uh, and it'll do yeah. what it what it needs to do to survive. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And let me be very clear. Um, Don't go and try playing with diuretics, please. Um, Please understand that this is something that needs to be done under guidance of some kind of professional. So um, preferably a medical professional. I understand that that's a little bit taboo in our world, but um, please, please don't just go do this. Um, this, this should be something that you, you can really mess yourself up. So um, have someone there that knows what they're doing. Um, obviously preferred to be a medical professional, but um, yeah. So what I would say is that trying to mess with it too much can probably ruin your look more than it's going to improve it. Um, so I definitely think that that kind of leaves us with that question. I think that kind of covers all of our bases. So all right, last one. Um, sorry for the individual who asked this question. I did not write your name down. So when I wrote him down in my notebook, I'm sorry. Yeah, um, don't, don't give us a bad review. It's Luke's fault, not mine. Okay. It's a two-person <laughs> two podcast. Thank so, you. So uh, the last question was how to control hunger on prep. Um, so 
there, there's a few ways you can do this, and this is going to be applicable to pretty much everyone because if you go through any kind of diet at fit, dieting phase, you're going to deal with hunger issues. So um, choosing more voluminous foods is probably going to be your first first go-to, um, as in if you, if you are in later stages of dieting and you have like some of your protein sources being like whey protein, you can switch those out for more solid food choices. Um, the use of vegetables is another one. Um, higher vegetable intakes will help with hunger. Um, I know one thing that helped me was decaf coffee. And I know that sounds stupid, but um, something for me, drinking some kind of hot drink, but that was not caffeinated allowed me to like kind of feel full so thick flu fluids can also help here as well um for me it was more late at night because the way my day was was like very activity filled through the beginning three quarters of the day and i would get home and have like two to three hours of work to do with one meal left so um it kind of helped me focus on the work that i needed to do rather than oh my God, I have one meal left. I'm so freaking hungry. So um, be careful with the decaf coffee. Um, Overconsumption of the tannins in coffee can cause some issues. Um, but as long as you're not like overly abusing it, like I would, I would probably drink a cup of decaf coffee every night and I had a regular cup of coffee in the morning. So, I mean, that's not an issue, especially if you're supplementing with, you know, health yep. supplements and things like that. What uh, what supplements are used necessarily? Uh, are there is there anything, uh, gear wise that helps with that? I'm I'm curious. With hunger? Oh yes. yeah, oh yeah. So, yeah, I guess yeah. I mean, yeah, like still prescription strong. appetite suppressants and stuff like that. I guess. Okay, so not so much prescription appetite suppressants, but okay. a lot of a lot of the compounds that we use will uh help decrease hunger now the problem is um some of them like when you get into using thyroid hormones like that can be fucking brutal because um you'll like some people will even get like night sweats at night mm. um hunger will increase yeah so i mean that happened you'll get like so trend can cause like insomnia in some people um but yeah some of some of the compounds we're using uh, do help with hunger. Um, I will tell you that it doesn't, for me, it doesn't make so much of a difference as when I used to compete naturally. Like the, the, the discrepancy between hunger levels is probably not as much as you would think it is. Um, but it, it is a little bit of a difference. I think more for me is I've done it so much that I don't care about being hungry anymore. So it's less of a nuisance, right? Like I could yeah. sit there hung. Like, like when I prep, typically I wake up in the morning and the first thing I do is sit and read with a cup of coffee for like 20 minutes. And then I do faster cardio. So that's like over an hour before I even eat. So hunger typically isn't my issue. I don't, I don't have problems with cravings or, or hunger or anything like that. I don't know. I just kind of detached myself from it. I think, honestly, to be real, I think issues with that is more of a psychological issue for most people than it is an actual um, a hunger issue. Um, 
people get so neurotic during preps at, to the point where f- the presence of food bothers them. And if, if you tell me that the fact that Billy Joe is eating a burger in front of you is making you feel like you need something right now is not a psychological issue, then you probably need to look at, you know, some of your characteristic traits. Cause you're wrong, Karen. <laughs> so, I mean, cause like I would go on dates with Emily to restaurants and sit there with her and talk and stuff like that while I was prepping, I wasn't eating the food, but she was like, I mean, it's, it's not that hard. Like just like detach yourself from it. And I mean, I get on your day to day, you get hungry and you need something to help. But like, if you ask yourself what the true goal here is, like it, it then doesn't become a question. I mean, the, 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 the statement that can answer your question is how do you control hunger on a prep is, is you're going to be hungry on a prep get over it. Yeah. Like, like that's, there are things to ease it for sure. Like caffeine is a, is a natural appetite suppressant, but you have to worry about how much caffeine you intake. Cause if you intake too much caffeine that can like overload uh, your nervous system and like cause a bunch of other issues. Like you got it. So you got to be careful with that. Like everything that you, that helps ease hunger also has a caveat to where if you overdo it, you're going to cause yourself issues. So, and I, I think that's, for the most part, that's pretty much how everything is in, in, in life, right? Like, yep. if you overdo it, it's probably going to cause you some issues. Like, most people are okay with dairy. You overdo it, you're going to have some issues. Like, yeah. there are some things that happen, but, but caffeine is a good one. Um, hot beverages, believe it or not, there's like a couple, there's a couple studies that talk about this, like diet control studies where the, the warm beverages just yeah. without the presence of caffeine, just a warm beverage. Um, because I guess it, it, I, I have zero idea why, but, but it, it actually helps. And if you think about it from like when you were a child, right, like your bottle was always warmed up. Or if you breastfed, it was always at whatever temperature. Yeah. So like it was always yeah. warm. And so it kind of comforts you. So the warm fluid is more of a comfort thing. So it's, it's a psychological term, I think, um, more than physiological. But I, I can- So it's, it's funny you say that. I actually haven't read any of the papers that are on like the hot beverage or hot, hot consumption being helpful. But I've seen it a lot anecdotally, not only on the diet side, but on the opposite side, on like all seasons, right? Um, a common thing I'll do for people is when food gets like really, really, really high, um, the cream of rice that I typically use is one that's like a cookable one. Like, so it's hot when you finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can switch to some of them that all it takes is putting a protein shake in there and you mix it and it's like, you don't have to cook it. It's cold. And yeah, yeah so it's like cold yeah. or even like taking the cooked one and putting it in the freezer for a period of time. Um, and that seems to help with some of my people's hunger, uh, or, and, or I guess it's bloating. Bad, t- t- uh-huh. Yeah. So, um, where they can eat the food and not feel disgusting. And so uh, just, just through coaching, I've seen that, um, but yeah. the, I, I'll have to go look up some of that literature so that I can. Yeah. So yeah. Temperature is a, temperature is a big thing with the human body and I, I like temperature of foods, uh, and liquids. Um, so like. Uh, like competitive eaters, believe it or not, like if they're eating like massive, you know, like say the hot dog challenge with Joey, like those hot dogs are not warm. 
they're cold so that they can consume multiple of them, right? Um, and and so right. like the the temperature of food does does kind of play into some things uh, for like hunger and stuff like that. So the more like warm meals, the the more satiating those things are. I mean, you have to think about it from from the terms of like you know the human body, right? Like when we diet, a lot of people get cold. I don't know if yeah. this happens to everyone, but like a lot of times, like when you're dieting, like you just get cold. And so having warm things is comforting and being comforted is, is good psychologically. So it literally has zero to do with the physiological aspect of like whatever you're eating. It's, it's all up here. Most, most hunger stuff is, is all up here, but caffeine's a good one. Hot beverages uh, is a uh, very good one. There are a couple supplements. There is a company uh, named DeNovo Nutrition that makes a supplement called Suppress, um, and it is actually an insanely potent appetite suppressant. I actually mm-hmm. tried one dose of it while I was at Nationals and I eat for 16 hours. <laughs> yeah, uh, like uh, so, um, I, I, I tested it. Just I'm just throwing it out there. I tested it, but like the you know, those, those things can help, but at the end of the day, like you can't rely on them because it's, it's going to be a crutch. Number one, and number two, there's yeah. going to be adverse side effects to pretty much everything that, you know, happens there. Yeah. Some, some, some OTC fat burners have ingredients that it decreased appetite too. So um, yeah, glu- I think glucomannan is glucomannan, however you want to say it is a, is a pretty big one uh, that, that yeah. essentially just expands when it hits stomach acid. Yeah. Yeah. So, so just make sure you swallow that all the way. Just be it. careful if you, if you're you're doing stuff to the point where you're getting bloating and abdomen ascension, um, that you're probably causing havoc on your prep more than you are helping it. So yeah, and that can um, happen with veggie intake too, right? Yeah, don't go that far with it. So um, just just understand that you're going to be hungry, um, yeah. and use some of the tools. Um, but that covers all of yeah. our questions. It's going to wrap just, it up, man. Just as a general overview, like key concepts to come into a contest prep, um, be ready for it psychologically and physically. So body fat starting percentage, um, have the habits in place. So a lot of times you'll hear people say that if they're those kind of individuals that don't necessarily do it, 365 24 7 um they prep before prep um that that kind of thing is extremely helpful because it gets the the habits and in in your system or like getting the habit formation out of the way before actual contest prep starts um create your schedule be able to plan um understand that you're gonna have to go through some suck um to get there but that, that there is ways to control that. Um, I highly suggest having at least an outside eye to refer to, even if you choose to do your own contest prep. Um, I mean, even when John was prepping himself, like he was having Roland at Muscle Factory look at him or Vu look at him, and now Vu helps him with his stuff. Um, so it's always good to have an external eye because – they're going to be void of the feelings that you have been feeling throughout the the dieting phase. So um, train hard, sleep hard, um, take care of your body. So like that train hard, sleep hard. We need to make a shirt, dude. (laughs) Train uh, hard, sleep hard, bro. And understand that like bodybuilding is full of extremes. So you are going to be tired. You are going to feel like shit sometimes. 
but just monitor it over time and you'll, you'll get there. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the key takeaway from the Q and a is, is everything that we talked about is if you monitor it, you're going to be able to keep up with and make the changes necessary and not make any unnecessary changes. The, exactly. the prep preps and diets fall apart because people do unnecessary things. Period. If you can, if you can knock that out by tracking things like track your starting body fat percentage, make sure you're mentally in check, ready for the diet. And you're not just like, it's new year, new me. Um, you know, and you're just like, I'm going to have one last meal and I'm going to go to Ryan's buffet and destroy that thing <laughs> and come home and Put destroy yourself. my toilet for three days afterwards. Put, like, your, don't, put yourself you know, three weeks behind. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't do that kind of stuff. Like prepare your mind, you know, prepare um, in, in the sense of like, get ready to track things. Like the more uh, you, you track, the more you, the more numbers you can keep a track of, the, the easier the changes are going to be to make. Granted, I know not all people are like type A, like this dude. <laughs> He's pointing at me, by the way. The camera, uh, the camera got me, dude. I was like, wait. You pointed the wrong way. But yeah. one thing, concept that may help some of you is a last, a last thought point on this. If it's your first, second, even third time doing it, um, consider taking an open prep process to this. Um, so pick a few show dates. Um, start your dieting process for the first one um, and progress it. And if you can't get there for the first show, then you'll have other shows behind it. The goal is to get ready for the first show, but having an open prep where you have a few show dates in mind will alleviate some of the stress. And for a lot of people, it drops off some of the neurotic behaviors of um, food driving them crazy or things like that that happen because it's typically stress related. So um, just just take that in consideration. Now, if you're a higher level athlete, obviously that's not an option um, sometimes. So um, just just think about that. We gave you a lot of tools, so kind of take them and use them. Um, Matt, you have anything you need to put out there before you before we head off here? No, man. I think I think that we we covered those questions. Hopefully, you guys enjoy these like little Q and A sessions. I would I really, I think in twenty twenty, I would really like to do more episodes where it's just Luke and I answering you guys' questions. Um, and I think uh, I like this discussion because we can actually nail down things more between the 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 natural and enhanced side. And I think that is. This is just my mind thinking. I think that is super helpful. Um, and then at the same time, we can also be specific to bodybuilding and be specific to general pop. And, and I think having both those ideas out there in one episode and um, it just being our own ideas and um, you know using research to, to help formulate those, uh, I think it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, we love, I love answering questions. And I think, uh, I think this is good practice for Luke and I, number one. And number two, I think it's a, you know, it's hopefully it really helps you guys. So if you like this, let us know, send us a DM. Uh, you can always find us the half natty podcast on Instagram. Um, just straight out. Uh, you can find Luke on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram. Uh, so feel free to reach out to us. Um, we're going to answer questions. Um, no matter what the question might be, um, we'll find a time to do that. I'm sure y'all get a little too personal. I may not answer it, but other than that, if it's bodybuilding related, I'll answer it. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, 
Anyways, thanks for the questions, guys. Um, I don't really got much going on other than more content coming your way, um, which you'll you'll kind of see as long as you follow my social media page. So, um, so some new stuff coming, but uh, just kind of keep it on Instagram, and you'll you'll see it all. If you have questions, you can shoot me a DM or an email. Um, my email is all over my page, so um, you just shoot me one there too. Awesome, man. All right, guys, we're out. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time.